0: All right, we are teaching through a series on the fruit of the Spirit that come from Galatians 5. And I'll we'll take a moment in the front end and read to you the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and Self-control. So today, we get to talk about patience. I know this is the one thing. All of you are begging God, give me more patience. And you know the joke, if you ask God for more patience, he's going to give you more difficulty because that is where patience is forged. I want you to imagine with me for a moment a world, a world where the moment you break the law or your word, you are immediately penalized. So in this world, I want you to imagine everything, every part of your life is monitored by AI or artificial intelligence. Ready? So in this world, the moment your car goes over the speed limit, you are given a ticket and you are fined immediately And that fine comes out of your bank account immediately because your car is communicating with phones, with satellites and other phones and cameras. It is irrefutable. You have broken the law. You're at 45 miles an hour. You go to 46. Infraction, penalty, immediate. Okay? The moment you get into your car, maybe a tiny bit inebriated, the car shuts off, and you are immediately fined because camera the ca- cameras in the car watch for pupil dilation, behavior changes, and more. Your phone doesn't just listen to what you're doing, but communicates with every other device around you to monitor what you were doing. Doorbells, thermostats, watches, refrigerators, alarm clocks, and more. It knows your entire, entire medical history and therefore monitors everything. The moment you walk into your car a little inebriated, that happens. The moment you partake of an illegal drug, police are dispatched, and a warrant is immediately granted for your arrest. There is nowhere you can go because you're monitored 24-7. The moment you lie... Anyone ever lied? (laughs) Okay, everybody. The moment you lie, the person you're talking to is warned because your watch tracks your heart rate, your blood oxygen levels, your phone camera is watching your eyes, how flush your face is, your phone is listening to your content, cross-referencing it with every other person's content, as well as every word you have ever spoken in the presence of any of these devices. The moment you text one person one thing and another person another thing, because it is monitoring everything, it sends a text to all parties involved informing them of the discrepancy immediately. The minute you exaggerate on a resume, your potential employer is notified, your entire work history is documented with the, uh, with the government, which AI has full access to. I mean, you get the point. You're, the moment you look at something inappropriate online, your spouse and all relevant parties are contacted immediately. All right, so we live in a space where few legal or relational infractions are penalized immediately. In fact, maybe 0.01% is actually ever even exposed. And when they are exposed, there is typically a considerable amount of time between the infraction and the punishment. Now, this is a space that the Bible will call, or we theologians will call, redemptive time. Uh, Redemptive time is the space between a crime and a punishment given by God, I want you to hear me, for repentance and redemption. Are you not thankful that every moment there is an infraction relationally with God or legally with God, that he does not invoke immediate punishment in 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 that space? And so redemption time is the space that God has allowed between the actual crime and the execution of discipline or punishment. We could also call this unbelievable mercy. Let me give you a few examples. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what's the word? Die. When they ate it, in the day that they ate it, Did they surely die? Relationally, yes. Spiritually, yes. Physically, no. Enter redemption time, this space between the crime and the punishment set set apart by God as a gift for repentance and redemption. You go to the flood. God tells Noah 120 years before the flood is actually going to happen, what is going to be the punishment and when it's happening. This is redemption time. This is a space that God gave to humanity between the actual crime and the punishment 120 years for the purpose of repentance. And redemption. I think one of the most uh, beautiful illustrations of this actually is the cross. Like if we were to interview Jewish theologians before Jesus, okay, so uh, pre, we'll say uh, the first century A.D., and you were to ask them the following question: Theologian, Jewish theologian, when the Messiah comes, what will happen? And they will tell you a few things will happen. They will say uh, sin will be atoned for. World peace will be ushered in and evildoers will be punished. All of this is coming with the Messiah. Now, when Jesus came, did he accomplish all three of those immediately? The answer is he didn't. He actually came the first time to atone for sin. And now we're sitting at about a 2,000 year gap between that and the ushering in of world peace and the judgment of sin and evildoers all over the world. Why? Why is he waiting? called redemption time. It is space and time in history that God has given us between the crime and the punishment for the sake of repentance and redemption. All right, so the the Bible has a word for what God feels about sin. And I think when you understand how God feels about sin, you'll be even more amazed that God is creating this unbelievable redemption time, this space for repentance and redemption, And in the New Testament, it's a Greek word, and the word is thumos, thumos. And this word refers to uh, passion, anger, heat, and it's this idea that you're feeling these really intense things, and as you feel them, they boil up and they boil over. It is the feeling when someone disrespects you, particularly publicly. You know that feeling. It's the feeling when somebody harms someone you love, thumos, thumos. It is the feeling when you are betrayed by somebody you love. What is that? Thumos, passion, anger. And I want to just tell you, God feels this. Any world where your God doesn't feel thumos, he's not seeing the realities of sin and what's happening. Our God is one who experiences thumos. Yes, God is love, but God is a full range of emotions, and he feels jealousy, as the Bible says, and thumos and anger. He feels a whole lot more than we probably give him credit for. And so rightly so, our God is a God of Thumas who looks at the injustices of the world and rightly so is angry at them. Um, but there's a, another New Testament word that the Bible uses to describe how God deals with his Thumas, how he actually acts. And the word is macro thumia, which thumia comes from this Thumas? Macro means long or wide. And so most literally, it would be long anger. Uh, But it's not the idea that God's anger keeps going and going. It's this idea that he is slow to anger. The time between the infraction and the punishment is actually an unusually long time. And so the Old Testament chimes in and says, God, our God, Yahweh, is long-suffering. That the distance between the infraction, the crime, and the execution of discipline or punishment is actually way longer than most of us are comfortable with, are we not? And so you look at the world and you're like, God, act. But when you look at your own life, you're like, God, be long-suffering. You get our double standard, right? God just happens to be profoundly long-suffering with the entire world. And for that, we are grateful because in the distance between the crime and the punishment and the discipline is the space for repentance and redemption. Uh, If you came to Christ a little bit later in life, you should be very thankful for this because God has given you this time, this merciful space, this redemption time, where he has left you space to repent of your sins and make right with God. So in the English, we call this patience. That's what that is. It is the ability to suffer long, It is the ability to have an infraction done to you and to have the ability to create distance between the infraction and the execution of punishment or discipline. Uh, I want you to catch me. Thumos is a good, normal, right human emotion to anger. But because we are fallen, what happens is almost never when we immediately act out of our thumos the way we act is usually typically not to the glory of God or for the good of other people or in such a way that it makes them want to repent and be restored to God or the person who is in trouble. And so what the Bible says is that the Holy Spirit is calling us to not be reactive. The Holy Spirit is calling us to take a cue from our God and how he's related to us and to say, this world is nuts. It is angering and it is rightly angering. And now our response to the world should be measured, controlled, and long-suffering. Now, does that mean we don't act at the appropriate time? No. In fact, all throughout the Bible and history, God intervenes and he brings punishment and discipline. But it's this idea that he intentionally creates space to give the opposite party the optimal chances for repentance and restoration. So let's um, simplify um, this concept here. I want to give you a simple definition of patience that I think will help you. Uh, For the Christian, patience is the ability to endure. Now you fill in the blank. It could be wrong done to you. It could be evil. It could be a frustrating person. Patience or long suffering is your ability to stretch out this time between the crime and the punishment or the discipline. It's your ability to live in this space, to endure this space with self-control, with hope, meaning the reason I'm creating space between the infraction and my reaction is so that I have the, this person has the highest opportunity for repentance and redemption So I am waiting, not so I can just get out what I feel, but I'm actually waiting because I have hope for the person standing in front of me. You are irritating or annoying, and and if I act out of that, not you, Villa Church, I mean, I'm just a hypothetical person in front of me, right? If I just act out of that, is that going to make them want to be near me? And in fact, what if they're sinning? What if I'm just annoyed at their sin, and I just say, you're annoying, Is that going to make them go, I repent, I want to be a better human? It actually pushes them away almost every time. And so what happens is between the crime and the punishment, what we do is we give space. We give space for the Holy Spirit to do work in them, but we also give space for the Holy Spirit to give us a measured and appropriate response. Because almost never is your initial thumos, right, measured. God's is always measured, but ours, not so much. And so in thumas, here's what we do, or in patience, we have the ability to endure. Again, you fill in the blank with self-control, with hope, and with integrity. Meaning, whatever the next steps are, uh, we don't take all of the thumas into our own hands and act in a way that is not according to God's word. So patience, is this is, this is challenging. This is your ability to endure really frustrating circumstances with self-control and with hope and integrity. And so, Village Church, are there a lot of things in this world right now that are frustrating you? Yeah. It's How many of you have, either with your family, in person, or online, gotten angry, and wanted to give out some thumas? <laughs> right? I'm telling you, every day I'm like, thumas, I'm feeling thumas, and I'm trying to create this space between the crime, the infraction, the thing that is irritating me or driving me nuts and my reaction. And, and I have found in this season that almost every time I'm experiencing this thumos, um, as I just process what I'm looking at, almost every time, particularly online, the Lord's like, shut your mouth. Don't say it. Delete, 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 delete. Don't press send. It won't go well for you. Nobody's ever had their mind changed because they were yelled at, Right. And so in this space, the Holy Spirit is, I'm not just giving God room to work in them, but I'm also giving God room to work in me. All right, open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 15. Uh, We're going to start in verse 16. As you turn there, um, I want to give you a framework that I think will will help you process this, these five verses. Um, I want to show you what happens when patience is lost. Typically speaking, I'm going to give you five categories that when we lose patience, when we stop suffering long... Um, These are the five natural reactions that are going to happen to you. You may not be prone to all of them, but everybody is prone to one or two of these. Impatient people are, number one, irritable. You are annoying me right now. Impatient people, number two, are endangering. Or what I want right now, it's more important than you. In small ways, you push people out of the way to get first in line for food, Right? But in big ways, when you push people out of the way to go get what you want, you begin to endanger people. Impatient people are impulsive. I can't wait any longer for you or for this or God. Your timing, it's not good enough for me, and I go grab and take what I want. Impulsive, impatient people are demanding. You give me what I want now, your ability to wait for God's timing or to wait for other people's timing? Give me repentance now. Give me an apology now. Give me that thing now. And then at the worst, impatient people are vindictive, "I am done being nice to you. You lose your patience with somebody dumb, and you pick a fight with them, whether it's verbal, written or with your fists. We actually act out physically on somebody else. And this is where impatience kind of begins to culminate. Now, I'm amazed when we look at Mark chapter 15, verse 16, that Jesus, if ever there was a time where his long suffering was tested, where there would be the shortest distance between a crime and a punishment, um, in my brain, it would be what happens in these five verses. Here's verse 16. Jesus is uh, falsely accused, tried, found guilty of nothing, sentenced to death. The soldiers led him, Jesus, away inside the palace. Now, nobody can watch. This is a private experience. This is the governor's headquarters. And they, they called together the whole Battalion. Now, there's like 600 people, typically, soldiers in a battalion. This is obviously not the whole 600. Uh, this work can mean a garrison, different words. But there's a lot of people. That's the easy way to say this. Uh, the palace headquarters are larger. And so a lot of people, a lot of soldiers are in the room. And here's what they're going to do. They are going to put on a mock coronation ceremony for the, quote, fake king of the Jews. And here's what happens in verse 17. They clothed him in a purple cloak because what color did kings wear? Purple. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. I actually have a crown of thorns in my office. And every time I just touch the crown of thorns, I forget how sharp it is and it pokes me. It's incredibly painful. It's made and geared to actually puncture your skin and cause, cause a lot of pain. And then verse 18 says, they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. All right. If you, just let's be honest for a moment, if you were unjustly accused, imprisoned, sentenced to death, tortured, and now mocked, what would you say in this moment? Would you experience thumos? Oh, you better believe it. When it is your government and your religious leaders sentencing you to this, the people actually who are there to protect you, you would feel some level of thumas here. Now what if, let's go a step deeper. What if you literally designed and created every one of these soldiers? What if you had an army, a legion of angels at your whim and disposal and you could crush them Rightly and justly, in this moment, would you do it? All I'm saying is, Jesus' utter restraint is unbelievable. So the day before, I want you to just listen to what the religious leaders did to him. Matthew 26, 67 says this. The religious leaders, this is like the religious leaders of the whole nation, the high priest, all these people, they spit in his face, and struck him. Some slapped him. They line up one by one, spit, slap. Here's Jesus. This isn't like a mob mentality. This is probably more of a a formal, like, my turn, I got him now. It's my turn. Do you realize what you've done to us? This is each person taking out some sort of vengeance on him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, you Messiah. Who is it that struck you? Unbelievable reserve. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says this. When he was reviled, he did not revile and returned. When he suffered, I want you to catch this. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Let's go back to the soldiers in verse 19. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to to him, John um, also says that they were striking him with their hands. Have you ever been hit or sucker punched verbally or physically in front of other people? It doesn't have to be physical, like verbally. Have you ever been just like verbally attacked publicly? Thumas happens inside of you, and what do you want to do with that? I, and you know what Jesus does? He doesn't say a word. The distance between the crime and the punishment is there for repentance and redemption. I want you to just watch what happens. Verse 20 says, And they mocked him they stripped him of the purple cloak, and this is important because John tells us that right before this, he was flogged, which means he was beaten right up to the point of death with a Roman whip, cat of nine tails, and it shred his entire skin. He is an absolute bloody mess. When they put the cloak on him, it sticks into his skin, and they stripped it off of him on purpose to shame him and to humiliate him. Now, at this moment, would you not want to heal yourself if you had the power how many of you would like to self-medicate in this moment? Mark actually tells us a couple of verses later that um, they all actually offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. Let me, let me tell you why the soldiers had this. This was a functional narcotic. It numbed them out emotionally. Um, we were just at the Holocaust Museum, and um, we've, we were um, in this one part of it where they talked about how the Nazi soldiers who were responsible for killing um, person after person after person um, were often inebriated and had to drink all the time just to numb themselves from what they were doing to humanity. And so it was not uncommon that these soldiers, because of what they had to do in crucifixion, that they were violating some deep part of their humanity and they had to drug themselves. And so they give it to Jesus and they say, do you want this? Uh, It will numb the pain. It's an unusual act of, it seems mercy in this moment. And what does he do? He's not numbing the pain. He's not doing anything of the sorts. He's leaning fully into this. Now I want to take you to the end of Jesus's time on the cross. Regarding these very soldiers, do you remember what he prays for them? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That is long-suffering. And I, I want you to catch this. Jesus, even in these moments on the cross, is creating space between the crime and the punishment. Now watch what happens. Matthew chapter 27, verse 54 says this. When the centurion and those who were with him, who were keeping watch over Jesus, this is a Roman military leader who is commissioned to watch over with all of his soldiers, Jesus saw the earthquake. What took place? They were filled with awe and said, truly this was the son of God. In fact, Luke 23 says that the centurion worshiped or praised God. Isn't it amazing? If Jesus would have executed rightly and justly, Thumas, discipline, punishment in this moment, what would have happened? Repentance and redemption would not have happened. And it's amazing because Jesus, in the moment of his thumos, if there was ever a person in the entire world who had the authority to execute discipline and wrath and punishment, it would be the Son of God, the righteous King of the universe, who has authority over all of them, who designed them, who made them. And even he is sitting here saying, I'm going to create more space. Now, it also helps that he's omniscient and he knows what's going on, but still he's creating this space for them. And, and what he's showing us is that our job is to create this kind of space. You will be wronged and harmed and abused, and slandered, and mistreated, and misrepresented, and you will rightly and justly experience thumos. But the Christian, filled with the Spirit of God, we do not react. We create create space between the crime and the discipline or the punishment. Now, there are times when you are actually authorized by God because you have a position as a parent, as a boss, as a teacher, as a pastor, where you actually are authorized by God to execute some level of discipline. And that is a good and that is a right thing. And and we're going to lean into uh, the spirit of Jesus inside of each of you to give you the wisdom of how and when to do that. But here's what I can say. In the moment where you feel legitimate thumos and you have legitimate authority to discipline, even just taking a breather will probably go well for you. It will probably be a gift to the other person because even in the execution of your authorized discipline, what do you want for that person? If you just want punishment, then yell at them, fire them, kick them out, put them in detention, do whatever you do. But if you want repentance and redemption, maybe take a minute, breathe, give your thumos to the Lord, And then with integrity, execute discipline in a way that gives that person the best opportunity for repentance and redemption. Uh, The point here is not to use your authority. The point is to use your authority with intentionality and to learn something from God and the way he has treated you. Let's go back to impatient people. Impatient people are irritable, endangering, impulsive, demanding, vindictive, um, if you've ever been on the receiving end of these, does, does it ever make you like, like these people better? <laughs> right? Never. And so when we have the opportunity to be patient, we take it because it's the opposite of these. And, 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 and impatience muzzles repentance and redemption. It just makes it so much harder. We look at Jesus, and Jesus was not irritable. He was actually so personally attentive. From the entire time he was being walked up to Golgotha to on the cross, every moment he had to have a conversation with anybody with a soft heart, he leaned into that conversation and loved them. Whether it was his mother that he was passing, whether it was a thief on a cross, anytime Jesus passed by somebody with a tender heart, he engaged them and he served them. Jesus did not endanger anyone with his wrath, with the probably understandable thumos that he would be feeling, but he actually chose to love through sacrifice. He was not impulsive by sending angels to destroy, but he calculated, I want you to hear this, that judgment could wait. He thought and calculated. In fact, he predetermined the plan before he ever got there. He was not demanding. He was giving, and he was thoughtful. And he definitely was not vindictive. If ever there was a place where I would expect the Son of God to revile and vindicate himself, this would be it. He was forgiven, he was merciful, and he was gracious. All because he created space between the crime and the punishment. Which, by the way, is what God does for us all the time. And what God is saying to you is, Phil's church, believer, you have the Holy Spirit and you now have the ability to be patient. I'm going to give you three so what's. Number one, own your thumos. First of all, recognize that your thumos is not a bad thing. Some of us in this room are more emotional than others, are we not? Some of you, you're so steady, like I feel like the whole world could be imploding around you, and I'm like, I don't get why you're always so calm and peaceful. That is not me. I tend to be a more emotional person. But my thumos that I feel often is actually legitimate and understandable. And I need to own that and see that. But there are times where I have crossed the line with my Fumas. In fact, there are three specific instances, being a pastor at the Village Church, where I reacted instead of suffered long. Now, each one of those three circumstances, I created harm and damage and had to go back to those people, own it and apologize and make it right. It has never, ever gone well for me. When I act out of my thumas without giving myself some space and time to process, how do I respond to this with hope? How do I respond to this with self-control? And how do I respond to this with integrity? There are probably some people in your life, if you're really going to own your thumas, you're going to need to go sit down with them and say, hey, um, I did not give the space that I needed to act with self-control and hope and integrity. No matter what is done to me, I want it to be said of me that I responded with self control, hope for you, and integrity according to the word of God. And I didn't give enough space between the crime and the discipline, the conversation or the punishment. I was too quick to this. And because I was too quick, I didn't act with self control. I didn't act with your hope, with a hope for you and your best interest in mind. I didn't act with the fruit of the Spirit, the things that God's word says with integrity. And I need to own that. And so for some of you, there are probably some people that you may need to own that too. So what number two? I want you to recognize your patience testers. There are actually four specific things that the Bible talks about um, that uniquely test patience. And when you see these four things come up, um, I I just want you to be unusually aware that you are going to need to create a little more space between the thumos, the infraction, the crime, and your response to this thing. Here are the four things. Number one, Is innocently suffering. I've cherry picked a handful of verses for each of these, and here's Revelation 2 3. John says, I know you are enduring patiently. You are suffering long, and this is repeated, and it doesn't seem to be stopping, and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. These people are being persecuted. And they are putting up with it. They are suffering long. They're waiting for the Lord to take vengeance in that circumstance. But when you are innocently suffering, you have to recognize that that will create a legitimate and appropriate thumos in you. And you now need to become macrothumia, long-suffering, because your impulse will not be self-control, hope for the other person's restoration and repentance, or with integrity according to the Word of God. You just take this space... When you are innocently misrepresented, slandered, suffering, just recognize that your flesh, which is opposed to the Spirit, will want vengeance. You need macrothumia. You need space between the crime and your response. Number two are delayed promises, things that we see in the Word of God or from other people, that we want these things. Uh, We were hoping they would come sooner, and God has delayed promise. James chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient. Suffer long, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Like, this is probably the most pinnacle delayed promise. God's like, yeah, I'm coming. I promise you I'm coming. But is it here? No, because when it comes, all of this goes away. Evil is judged. Peace, world peace comes down. Like, this is our dream. This is what we want. And it is so frustrating when you want something now and it is taking longer than you expect. There is something about the human condition that patience wears out the longer and longer the distance between our expectation and the fulfillment of that thing. When there is a delayed promise or expectation, it does things to us. Here's one. Unrestrained evil. When you see unrestrained evil, it should appropriately produce thumos in you. And you will need to be long-suffering. Here's what Revelation 2.2 says. I know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. There's something about seeing evil that appropriately makes Thumas come up, and our job is to patiently engage this. To be thoughtful and intentional, to create space, not so that we react, but so that we act with self control, with hope, but also with integrity according to the word of God. Now, here's one um, that I think is just hilarious frustrating Christians. I'm telling you, I have never been more frustrated with Christians than I have in the last six months. <laughs> and this appears to be a pretty common sentiment. Because there are people who are doing things that I'm like, you're representing me. There are pastors doing things. And I'm like, goodness, now I have to overcome that. Now when I meet m- new people, they're like, oh, you're a pastor? And this whole parade of ridiculous pastors goes through their mind that now I have to like, somehow convince them, yeah, but I'm not like that guy or that guy or whatever. And we're really frustrating Christians. You're like, you knew not to do that. Why did you go do that, right? Or Christians who go online in the name of Jesus say things, and you're like, that's not what Jesus would say, or they post political things and you're like, you're not even like nuanced. Like th- this isn't even close to being biblical. It's cultural and emotional. And so the constantly we're like, oh my goodness, frustrated. When you see Christians who bear the name of Jesus with you, few things can create frustration and make you want to uh, implement thumos uh, pretty quickly. 2 Timothy 4, two says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I love this to the pastor. With complete patience. Who is going to test Timothy's patience? Christians. Who will test your patience? Christians. Long-suffering. Give yourself a breather before you react and ensure that when Christians drive you nuts, you can stand before the Lord and say, I am acting with self-control, with hope for this person, and with integrity. Finally, number three. Patience starts with the Spirit, but it ends with the will, your will. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not have access to this kind of patience. This is a supernatural ability to endure. It is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And if you have trusted in Jesus, I want you to hear me. Patience is yours. It's like a million dollars that has been put into your bank account, and you have the credit card. Now all you need to do is go spend the money. It's yours. It's yours. It has been put into your account. You have all the resources, all the tools. It is yours. I want you to hear me. The only thing that stands between you and suffering long with self-control, hope, and integrity is your will. That is it. When you overreact, that is no one's fault. We already know that thumos will be provoked in us on a regular basis. This is life. And it might even happen with your family or other Christians more than anything else. But it is our will, as a follower of Jesus, we have been freed from the slavery of sin. We have a free will now as believers to choose righteousness or unrighteousness. And we have the freedom to choose, to choose macrothemia, to choose patience, to choose long-suffering. Now, here's what you probably won't have. You probably won't have the ability to stop feeling thumos. This is not about how you feel. Your feelings are understandable and legitimate, and I guarantee you Jesus felt a whole bunch of things he didn't act on. The issue is not the feeling of thumos. The issue is our ability to act in a way that is patient. And you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have a will that is now freed to suffer long, to create distance and space between the crime and the discipline or the punishment or the communication or the confrontation. You have that. The warning for us is this culture all around us are just giving into their thumas. They're reacting with the first things they feel and think. Not us. We are measured, clear-headed, level-headed, reasonable. These are all words that the New Testament uses for how we process and respond to the things around us. We are not overreacting. We are fundamentally different, which is what makes us safe. The most unsafe people are reactive, but reasonable, clear-headed, sober-minded, self-controlled people. I'm telling you, you are safe space. And this is what the people of God provide. In the world of crazy Thumas, we bring level, we bring self-control, we bring hope, and we bring integrity. Bill church. Has there ever been a greater time for patience than this season right now? Right? I have good news as we go to communion. For all of your lack of patience and my lack of patience, the blood of Christ covers us and the Holy Spirit offers us another chance. So, you, you, you might have to own your thumos. You might have to make some confession, have some conversations. But I just got great news for you. You are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. God has been so patient towards you, has he not? Aren't you thankful that when you've acted out of your thumos, God hasn't come in and immediately punished you in that moment? Aren't you grateful for the space that he's given you between the crime and the punishment? Aren't you grateful that he's given you space for repentance and redemption. And so we're going to have some time and communion here in a moment. And I just want you to thank God for the space that he's given you. I want you to thank God that he has not punished you immediately, but has given you opportunity between crime and discipline, between crime and punishment for repentance. And so this might be a time for some of you where you just need to go before the Lord because you have not repented of something specific in your life. Some of you need to go before the Lord, and, and you just need to thank him in a way you've never thanked him before. Some of you have never trusted in Jesus, and today this is, this is like your time. You know you need to place your faith in Christ. You know it. I want to just challenge you, if you've never trusted in Christ, and today you can stand here and say that you believe Jesus died for your sins, that he was resurrected from the dead, that he's coming back, and that salvation is not by good works. If you can say those things, I want to challenge you today. Place your faith in Jesus and receive true forgiveness and the Spirit, which will give you the ability to actually suffer long in the way that you know your soul really wants to. And we're going to have a, a time of silence again. And, and uh, I know there are kids in the room and probably kids out there. And, and just a couple simple things. If your kids are trusted in Jesus, uh, if you're comfortable Uh, They're welcome to partake. If you're visiting with us and you have placed your faith in Jesus, we want to invite you to partake of communion with us. If you've never trusted in Christ, just let the elements pass. Nobody will judge you, look down on you or anything of the sorts. Let's have a time of silence before the Lord.